0: It's a great blessing and privilege to be back with you this afternoon. Uh, y'all must have heard about the conversation that I had with Brother Ronald this week. He told me, he said, don't worry about the afternoon service. He said, we'll have you on the road, back out by 2.30. And I said, well, that kind of depends on how long the preacher gets. He goes, hey, that's on you. That's, you know, that's all about you. So y'all got me started early enough. If I can't get out of here by 2.30, that's on me. <laughs> so I do count it a high joy to be with you. you. Uh, Didn't really know for sure what I was going to talk about this afternoon and would like to talk about something that I had intended to talk about this morning as part of the sermon, but we don't script these things. They don't always come out like we want. But there's a a thought that is centered in the 115th Psalm that I'd like to draw out this afternoon. In Psalm 115 and verse 2, a question is asked, wherefore should the heathen now say? Where is their God? And it doesn't take a, a lot of observation to realize that people today, whenever something happens, they'll say, well, where is your God? You know, something bad happens, and they say, well, what happened to God? You know, why didn't God do something about this? Why didn't God stop this? Or why didn't God intervene? And I may not always know the specific answer to that question, but I do know the answer to the question, wherefore should the heathen now say, where is their God, is found in verse 3. In verse 3, the psalmist says, But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he pleased. You think about what we hold to and what we hold dear. It can be summed up in that statement. Our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. We a lot of times call this the sovereignty of God. The word sovereignty is not in the Bible, but the concept definitely is that as God... He has the authority and he has the power to do what he pleases, when he pleases, to whom he pleases, and in whatever way is suitable to him, he does that. Now, that shouldn't be a hard thing to come to grips with because I know we don't live under a king in this country. We live under a different form of government. But just take your very own home. How would you feel if I came to your house and told you, you can do this and you can't do that in your own home. You'd be like, get out of here. This is my home. You know, if I told you who you could and couldn't have in your home, you'd say, this is my home. I'm going to do what I want. It's my home. We would not argue that point with somebody in their home. It's their home that they can do in their home as they see fit. And yet people try to rob God of that same privilege, even though God has more authority than anybody else, that when it comes to what is God's, Who can tell him what he is or is not going to do with his own? It's his. It belongs to him. This earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills, all the gold of Ophir, all the silver that's in the mine. It all belongs to him. We're even told that our body and our spirit are God's. We belong to him. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. But consider the answer to this question. He's in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The psalmist goes on in verse 4, to talk about everything else compared with God. It says their gods are idols of gold and silver. And here's what they look like. They have eyes that can't see. They have noses that can't smell. They have hands that can't save, feet that can't deliver. And in verse 8, we're told something that's very important. It's the, the thought I'd like to center around this evening. It says that they that make them are likened to them, even they also that trust in them. What the psalmist is here showing forth is that we are going to look like whatever God it is that we serve. That means that if we truly serve the Lord, if we honor Him as we should, we're going to look more like Him and less like this old world. If you think about, if I believe that God was a liar, then I would be justified in my own mind of being a liar. Because my God's a liar, I can be a liar too. It's not amazing to me that people who have a very short-sighted view of God have also a short-sighted view of their responsibility. You know, I was talking to, and I'm not trying to run anybody down, but I was talking to a guy back when I lived in Mississippi, and at the time we only had John and Elizabeth. They were the only two children we had, and he was a good man, he was a a, a good uh, citizen and employee. And they do have moss deacons in other churches of other orders too, by the way. He was a moss deacon of a different order of church. And he asked me, he said, You don't believe that you can get somebody into heaven? I said, I sure don't. He said, You mean those two little babies you got at your house, you're not going to be able to get them into heaven? I said, No, Tim, I can't. And he said, Well, I don't even know why you preach. And I said, Well, Tim, let me ask you a question. I said, Once your preacher gets them down the aisle and he gets them to do whatever it is they're supposed to do, does he keep preaching to them? Well, yeah. I said, it sounds like once they've come down the aisle and done whatever they need to do from that day forward, he and I are in the same boat, right? I mean, we're preaching to people that are already saved. We're preaching to people that are already going to heaven. Why do we keep preaching to them? The reason we keep preaching to them is because God has ordained in this world that we who are born of the Spirit should live as lights in this cold, dark world. We should be salt that doesn't lose his savor. And why should we be that way? Because God's light is still in this world. God's salt is still in this world. And if we look and act like God, we're going to mimic and imitate the very behavior that He has. But if I believe that if, like holding a carrot in front of somebody, I get somebody to do this, so they can get to heaven. If I believe God was like that, then I wouldn't have any care for somebody after they did whatever they were supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you something about my children. I very much was concerned and had care about the day they were born. We wanted healthy children. We wanted a healthy delivery. But that wasn't where our care and concern ended. I have care and concern about them being fed, about them being clothed, about them being good, upright citizens, about teaching them and instructing them in the right way to go. And to do that, I've got to show them an attitude and a behavior that I want them to, themselves, imitate. My dad used to say something when I was young, and I thought, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm never going to say that to my children. You know, I'd, I'd find a way that dad was not following his own rules, right? And I'd point it out to him, like, well, this proves that I don't have to do what you said. And I'd get this, do as I say, don't do as I do. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing in the world. I'm never going to say that. And I remember the first time it almost came out of my mouth. My oldest pointed out to me I was not doing what he, I told him to do. And I said, do it. Oh, my goodness. It almost came out. But I had to come to grips and be reconciled with the fact that I was instructing my children to do something that maybe I myself was not doing. You know, God's not like that. He is a perfect father. Everything that he has commanded us to do, he does himself perfectly. He has told us to let our speech be always what? Seasoned with grace. You know what God's speech is always seasoned with? Grace. He has told us to be pitiful, long-suffering, kind, and merciful. You know what He is? Full of pity, full of mercy, long-suffering, and kind. He has told us to do unto our fellow man as we would have our fellow man do unto us. You know what He has done? He has done unto His brethren what his brethren then should then repay him in thanksgiving and in kindness. I love what Paul says at the end of Acts 20 in his farewell address to the brethren at Ephesus. He has this to say how that the Lord Jesus, you could sum up everything in his ministry by saying this, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and never find that exact quote, but Paul says these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Everything in his life... Was centered around the fact that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And friends, He is going to receive glory world without end. But you know what the blessing is? That He has given unto us freely by His grace all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So, having said that, what happens when somebody follows something other than what God has said? They're going to live a kind of life that reflects the God that it is they serve. And let me just be clear. We're all going to serve something, without fail, we are all going to serve something. Man, even in his natural nature, is going to worship something. Now, it may be himself, but he's going to worship something. We were, uh, I'll just go ahead and mention it, we were listening to a song this morning, no it wasn't church music, but the man singing the song basically said he didn't believe in anything other than himself. Let me tell you something, friends. There's a lot of people today who believe in themselves, whether they're going to admit it or not. And the reason they believe in themselves is because they start every statement with, I think or I feel. You know what they're saying? I've got this figured out. You know how our expression should begin? Thus saith the Lord is how our expression should start. Why should they start that way? Because our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And if our life looks like his... We'll have graciousness in our action. We'll have thanksgiving in our hearts. We'll be constantly in prayer begging our Father to be with us. We'll be at the end of our lives saying the same thing that he said to his Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We'll be saying things like, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast done these things. We'll ask our Father to do things for us as he did. We will have a, 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 a spirit within us, much like Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, it's okay To mourn in this old world. Jesus wept. He mourned. But he did so when it was appropriate. He mourned over the loss of a loved one. He mourned over the the sad spiritual state of Jerusalem. He mourned friends over things. He even marveled at things. Now that one blows me away. Jesus marveled means that he was amazed. You know what amazed Jesus? Unbelief in Jews and belief by a Gentile. That amazed him. And you know what belief should be for us today? It should still be a source of amazement because, friends, it is a miracle every time a child of God believes. But look at it from the other perspective. Why is it that so many people in the world are sad? They're sad is because they're serving a God that can't save. Why is it so many people are angry? They're angry because they serve a God that can't help. Why is it that so many people are discouraged? Because they're worshiping a God that can't do anything. Their feet won't move. I tell you, friends, we shouldn't ever get to a point in our lives where the God that we serve is so small in our own mind and is so limited in our own uh, heart that we think He is incapable of doing something. He is in the heavens, and He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. I'm just going to go ahead and repeat the point from this morning because it's worth repeating. God can turn everything in this country around just like that if He so pleases. God can fill up church houses just like that if He so pleases. Now, I'm going to tell you what God is pleased with. He's pleased when his people go out and say, come and see. That's how God normally works and how God normally operates. I've told folks for years, I said, God can drop people on your doorstep. He's just not in the habit of doing that. (laughs) What really should happen is that people see something in us that looks like the God that we serve. I had a conversation with the children yesterday as we were driving and I asked a very simple question, a question that every one of us should be able to answer at a moment's notice. And that question is, why do you believe that you are going to heaven? Why is it that you believe that one day when this life is over, you're going to be with God? And the answer is very simple. The answer is, because Jesus died for my sins. That's the simple answer. That's the short answer. There's a longer answer, but that's the simple one. But you know, we're supposed to be ready always to give an answer to that question. Did you notice the language? Be ready to what? Answer. You know what that means? There's got to be something in us worth seeing for them to ask. If they see me as being as angry as everybody else in the world, and I confess this to some of you at lunch, I'll just confess it publicly now in front of wherever the camera is. I'll confess that driving through Atlanta yesterday, I was as mad as everybody else. Driving through Nashville last night, I was as mad as everybody else. I didn't sound like a preacher. I didn't act like a preacher. I looked and sounded just like everybody else on the road. I've been there. And nobody was going to see me in traffic. I should say, I need to ask that guy about him, what what drives him. They could look at me and say, yeah, he's like everybody else. I hope that's not always the way I am. So my point is, if you're at work or if you're at the grocery store, you're in your community, do people see something in us that looks different than the gods of this world? Do they see something in us that has power? Do they see something in us that has grace and mercy and tenderness and compassion and long-suffering and faith and meekness and all the other things that should go along with the fruit of the Spirit? If they do and they ask the question, then we have something to tell them. Because, friends, we go through this life looking like the God that we serve. It may look like an idol of silver and gold. It may look like a God that can't help, a God that can't uh, aid, a God that can't deliver. But I hope people see in us a people that are so overjoyed and so uplifted and so filled with the Spirit, they say, there's something different about that God. I need to ask Him why He's not depressed. I need to ask Him why He's not mad. I need to ask Him why He's not cast down or her. Because I can tell you this, friends... I don't believe God is in heaven sad today. I don't believe God is in heaven angry today. I don't believe God is in heaven distraught today. He's not wringing His hands, wondering what's going to happen. God is in heaven as sure and as confident in His power and His ability as He's ever been. And He knows one day when this world is over that we're all going to be with Him. And because of that, friends, He is not disturbed today. His peace and His rest is not disturbed. And we have the ability to be in perfect peace. What does it say in Isaiah 26? Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. How? Whose mind is stayed on thee. I tell you this, friends. I need to have my mind stayed on Jesus Christ. When my mind is stayed on him, stayed on his power, stayed on his love. I won't go through these things. In either the bewilderment of wondering what's going to happen, the confusion of what's uh, uh, coming. I won't go through it with anger over what has happened, discouragement over what I'm currently in. I'll go through it with the love, the power, the mercy, and the grace that has the very same resemblance of our Father which is in heaven. We're told in uh, Matthew 5 and verse 17... He says, Let your uh, light shine, let your good works shine before men that they may see, or let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you look at what he's saying, let your light shine and that it may glorify your Father, there is an aspect there that we call in the engineering world reflection. What light does is it reflects. The reason light illuminates a room is is because it reflects off surfaces and it illuminates the room that you're in. It doesn't make things that way, but it shows the way things are. What should people see illuminated and reflected in us? The very same image of the very One that we serve. We're told in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 that He sits as a refiner before His fire, and as a fuller in His soap. He is like a refiner sitting there and refining silver. You know, if you refine silver, when you first bring it out, it looks very cloudy. It looks very lumpy. It looks very uh, distorted. But you apply some fire to that silver, and that lumpiness begins to go away. That cloudiness begins to go away. Dross and imperfection begins to come out. It liquefies and it turns into a sheen. But you know how that refiner knows? When that job is done, when he can look down into that reflection of that metal and he can see his own image reflected and stared back at him. Well, our lives, not guaranteed to be this way, but what our lives should look like is that as we go through life, we reflect more and more the image of our Father which is in heaven. So when people see us, they see our Father shining through our faces. You know, the disciples asked Jesus a question in uh, John 14 or actually Philip did, he said, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. What did Jesus say? He said, have I been so long a time with you, Philip? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know why that was? Because he was the express image of his Father. Now, I'm not the express image of my Father. But what I should be doing is getting a lot closer to that image than I am right now. I told all of you this morning that the last time I saw he was the last time things were normal. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't look, regrettably, like I did last March. I've gained weight since then. I've lost hair since then. I've got aches and pains that I didn't have then. I'm getting, I'm older now. And when you see me next year, if you do, Lord willing, I will look different than I do now. But I hope that I know more about my father now than I did last year. I hope I look more like him now than I did last year. I hope that people see in me a level of behavior and deportment that looks more like their father than it did before. Because I don't want to look like everybody else walking down the street. I don't want to look like everybody else with their head hung down. I don't want to look like everybody else who gets angry all the time. I want to look like Jesus that when somebody saw him, they said, there's something different about that guy. You know, when Philip came to Nathaniel... In John 1 and 45 he basically says we found him we found him that we've all been looking for that all the prophets wrote about he's here his name is Jesus he's from Nazareth you know what Nathaniel said he didn't say hallelujah <laughs> he said Nazareth huh this is not in the King James this is poor brother Phillips broken country boy English Nazareth huh <laughs> ain't nothing good in Nazareth Now, that may not be good grammar, but that's good theology. That's basically what Nathaniel said. He said, Nazareth. There's nothing good out of Nazareth. You know what Philip said? Come and see. Just come and see. Just see if he's what I'm telling you he is. There was a woman, I mentioned her this morning, in John chapter 4, who was not exactly the model citizen of her city. When Jesus told her to call her husband, remember she goes, I don't have one. He goes, well, you got that right. Yeah, you've been married you know, four times, and this one you got, you didn't even bother marrying him. You're just living with him, but you got that right. You ain't got a husband, but go call him. And she didn't like that. She started trying to change the subject. So this woman, if you allow me to say it this way, would you allow me to say she had a very poor reputation? She had a poor reputation, but she got so excited about Jesus that she runs into town and says, you need to come see this fella. He told me all about myself. Now I know some people today who be like, well, I don't think I want to see that guy. But she said, come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know, they were willing with a woman of bad reputation to come see this man they've never seen before. Why? Because they saw something in her they had never seen before. And what they need to see in us, people need to see in us something they've never seen before. They need to see something that turns their world upside down. Not like it's been turned upside down, but turns their world upside down in a good way. And when that happens, friends, if they see the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the compassion and the loving kindness in us, may they come and see a place where graciousness dwells. I love what the servant says in Genesis 24 when he says, I, being in the way, the Lord hath led me to the house of my master's brethren. You know, the house of God is unlike anything else on this earth. It's not like a business. It's not like, I mean, the closest thing it's like is a home with a family. But even then, our homes don't really exactly look like the church because our home is full of our family. And our family is those who we're naturally related to. And I know technically we're all naturally related, but friends, we're not here because we're from the same natural family. We're here because we're all part of the same spiritual family. It's not tied by blood. It's not tied by name. It's not tied by genealogy. It's tied by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that in the house of God, there's not old and young. There's not rich and poor. There's not black and white. There's not male and female. There's not Jew and Gentile. It's all one. It's all one family because it's been covered and bought. By the blood of jesus christ you know i talk to people at work and i ask them where they go to church and i tell you it's getting sad to hear people say well you know i go to such and such church but you know i only know like three people there and i've never even talked to the pastor and i'm thinking what now granted they're in a church with like 2,000 people and they have four services to make everything work but friends what kind of church is it if you've never had a conversation with the pastor What kind of church is it if you only know three people in the church to me that is not a representation of what church is all about not even getting to the doctrine that's not a representation of what the fellowship of the church is all about you know what should make us different that people see in us something they don't find anywhere else and i'm gonna tell you something friends when people come and view the church the first thing they're going to see is not election the second thing they're going to see is not predestination the third thing they're not going to see is uh, eternal security those things aren't seen immediately. But I'll tell you what they will see immediately. They'll see whether it's a house of love or not. They'll see whether it's a house of prayer or not. They'll see whether it's a place of of kindred uh, fellowship or not. Because those things are immediately seen. Those things are things that it doesn't take time to develop. You see it right away. You ever visited with a family and before they even opened their mouth, you knew they've been fighting. (laughs) I'm amazed that, you know, You know, Brother Larry and Sister Basha didn't ask us yesterday when we got there, what's wrong? Because between traffic and my temper and the children wanting to kill each other, I'm sure we were a sight coming out of the car yesterday. But have you ever been around a couple and you knew they're together but they ain't on speaking terms? Do people not do that in Tennessee? Okay, all right. I mean, it's everywhere else I've been, you were like, okay, I'm going to let them sort out whatever it is they've got going on. You can tell that immediately. But you know, it's easy when you go to a home and you see a family that has love one for another. It's immediately seen. It's immediately seen if husband and wife aren't just husband and wife, they're also the best of friends. That's immediately seen. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to gauge, it's just something you know when you see it. What people ought to see with us is not a people that have to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe in God, yes, I... They see in us the love of Christ coming out. That's why the Apostle Paul would write that while he works in us, both the will and the do of his good pleasure, we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling so that other people would see being brought out of us what God has already worked in on the inside. And when we do that, and somebody says, well, where is now their God? Someone else can say, it's with them. It's with those people right there. You know when Abraham walked by, you know what people said? There goes God's friend. That's what they said about it. You know why they said that? Because Abraham was willing to do things that nobody else was. Can you imagine Abraham's family when he said, "Uh, I'm leaving and I'm taking my wife with me. Where are you going? I don't know. When are you going to be back? Couldn't say. What did you just say? You don't know where you're going? You don't know when you're going to be back? Why are you doing this? Because God told me to go, so I'm going. Can you imagine what it would have been like had people known what Abraham knew when he was told to offer up Isaac? Now, friends, he didn't lie to his servants when he said, I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again to you. He fully expected Isaac was going to come back because he fully expected God was going to raise him up from the dead. Didn't have to go through that, but that's what he expected. And he didn't lie to his servants. But you know, I can imagine he look on his servant's face so if he'd have told him what he was going to do. They'd be been like, you're doing what? But he just went and did it because God told him to do it. He built altars because God told him to build altars. And whenever he walked by, because of his actions, people said, there goes God's friend. Jesus said, ye are my friends. If you do what? Whatsoever I've commanded you. And whatever he's commanded us to do, he has already first done himself because he even says this, a greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for who? His friends. He laid down his life for us. His life was taken up again for us. His life was in service for us. His love was to us. His mercy and his grace are for us. And as such, we should reflect those very same things in our lives. When people see us, they can say, I don't know where exactly God is. I don't exactly know everything there is to know about God, but there's one thing I do know. It's going to be found over there with those folks. Because those folks look like Him, they act like Him, and they're His friends. I hope that when somebody sees me, they'll say, There goes a friend of God, and not say, Well, there goes somebody who looks just like everybody else. Because I don't want to look like a weak and poor God. I want to look like a God who's on His throne, in control and full of power, as he's always been. And may that be reflected in our lives. So when people see us, we are like Abraham was, are called the friends of God. Hope these things have been a blessing unto you. This afternoon, before you take your nap, say a prayer for me that I won't look like everybody else leaving Nashville. And that when I get to Atlanta, I'll have grace and compassion in my heart because I can already tell you there's no good time to go through Atlanta, so you pray for me. In a few hours, when I go through Atlanta, I'll still look like God when I'm going through Atlanta. I know it's possible. But you pray that it would be a reality for me in my life today. I hope they have been a blessing to you. It's been wonderful to be with you. And until we meet again, may the Lord's richest blessings be upon you.